Good morning. It is uh, seven minutes after nine o'clock and glad to have you with us. Secretary Jay Ashcroft will be with us probably around uh, 9.35 or so. Uh, we uh, also have uh, Nathan Wooster coming on the program. Nathan uh, writes for the Epic Times. If you haven't subscribed, you really have to subscribe. Uh, there, it's better than the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Times. Uh, it, it's really, really great. Uh, anyway, he is their uh, national political desk. Uh, that he, that's where he uh, he sits. Uh, he has uh, uh, several stories on uh, the Trump Biden documents, uh, and we'll get to that probably an hour from now. Uh, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. We've got so much more uh, that we need to cover. Uh, and, of course, uh, Murray Sabrin is going to be with us, uh, Ph.D. Uh, in economics uh, and an economics professor. Uh, he'll be with us, uh, the, I think, at 1030. I think that pretty much wraps up the guest for today. Let's jump right into it. I wanted to do this. John Stossel has uh, never uh, done anything less than impress the hell out of me. Uh, he has, uh, you know, gone from left to libertarian, and he he does some terrific videos. You you've got to look them up. But in my neighborhood, we have these green recycling bins. I'm not sure what I should use that bin for, because I never recycle. And uh, I don't know if you recycle or not. I I I'm, I am curious. You know, I, I am truly curious. I wonder how many people actually do recycle. We're gonna uh, we're gonna check this uh, check this video, and, and I think you'll find it uh, really uh, pretty uh, pretty impressive. Uh, exposes the nonsense, and uh, maybe we can get uh, the cities around Missouri to quit recycling. Terrible idea. Uh, in the meantime, uh, let us uh, check in with Nathan Wooster. He is with us from the Epic Times, and I want to tell you, it is, uh, I told you a few minutes ago, better than the uh, Wall Street Journal and uh, the Washington Times uh, all, all combined. They go places nobody else goes. Nathan, welcome to the program. How are you this morning? I'm great, and I just have to say that uh, if if we're up there with the Wall Street Journal, it has everything to do with uh, many of my great colleagues. Uh, I'm just going to name one, Mark Tapscott, who has been a, uh, someone reporting on Capitol Hill for a long time, and he's also been doing really important work on the developing Biden document scandal. One, yeah. one story that's just coming in is uh, Kevin Comer, the head of the House Oversight Committee, suggesting that it's possible the Penn Biden Center was receiving anonymous Chinese donations that were funding the salaries of future Biden administration officials. This is the claim that Comer is making. Uh, very, the very latest development. Wow, because I just heard the uh, uh, the, the head of uh, the university say they didn't get any money specifically. They had two donors totaling, are you ready for this, Nathan? <laughs> a thousand something apiece, I believe. Um, but this would seem to indicate uh, that it was uh, not just two donors, and it wasn't just a couple of grand total. I would really like to see the source for that because I have had a look at some of the publicly available information confirming that, at at the very least, there were substantial donations uh, from China attributed to to China that went to Penn. 
so I've, I've, I've yeah. seen at least that myself. Yeah, he says uh, that they got then, money at the university, but not for the Biden pen uh, uh, office. Uh, that they only got a couple of thousand dollars total in donations. So I'm, yeah, I, this this would seem to explode that. Well, that's what, see what what exactly happens. Just what uh, what Comer is able to produce, what all of the people in this are able to produce to substantiate uh, to substantiate all this. Really, it's you know I, I can understand though why some people would be concerned about the the general uh, probe into it from Robert Hur or from any of these other players to be uh, potentially vulnerable to partisanship, potentially vulnerable to uh, charges of. Uh, partiality. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much your listeners have uh, looked into his background, but he was a protege of Rod Rosenstein. He uh, was actually an assistant to Christopher Ray. So that's in keeping with the uh, the previous uh, individual, the Chicago uh, uh, U.S. Attorney uh, Robert Lausch Jr., I believe, who uh, has been described as a pick of Dick Durbin uh, in that state. So someone who, who is one of only two Trump appointees retained in that position after the uh, changeover to the Biden administration. And it seems as though he was, uh, well, this is well documented, actually. He was retained because of the advocacy of the, the Illinois senatorial delegation, uh, Durbin and uh, Duckworth. So it, 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 it certainly looks like... Um, we need to be paying attention to who exactly is responsible for uh, for this investigation on the uh, on the side of the Department of Justice. Yeah, uh, do we have any idea yet, Nathan? How many documents they managed to find? We do not. Uh, in fact, uh, previously at a White House press conference, the uh, White House spokesperson had said this was a few days ago now that the search for new documents was over. Uh, after that happened, of course, there was an announcement that new documents had been found. Um, this is from uh, Richard Sauber on January 14th, two days after that. And so just yesterday, uh, she herself refused to clarify whether or not additional documents were being found, whether or not the, uh, the search was over. So there's still many, many more questions than answers. It's, it's hard for me really to... It's, it, I, I think that as time progresses, we'll have a better sense of when exactly all these players knew what they knew. You know, to what extent we can uh, we can say that there's some evidence suggesting that uh, there may have been an effort underway to soften the rhetoric on the uh, Trump uh, document case in November. And this was after the uh, Biden administration would have been alerted to it. You know, their story. Uh, the president's lawyer would have found those documents in early November. And uh, then um, the, the whole process of alerting various agencies would have started just weeks after that. Uh, it, it seemed as though the rhetoric shifted on uh, the Trump documents case. So one of my colleagues at Epoch, uh, Lee Smith, another really fantastic journalist, has uh, written a recent, uh, recent opinion piece uh, essentially expounding on the theory that these changes could point to rather than some sort of a palace coup involving uh, Susan Rice factions or, or someone else, uh, more of a systematic cover-up. 
that is that is his opinion of what the evidence shows. But again, I just like to say that there is so much still happening, so many pieces, uh, so many things still in play that uh, we should allow this to continue to play out before really uh, really making any sort of dispositive uh, statements. If you just turn the radio on, Nathan Wooster is with us from the Epic Times or the Epoch Times. I, I always go back and forth on that myself. Fabulous diurnal, you really got to get it. Uh, and uh, I, what I found, I found a couple of things, Nathan, that were peculiar. Uh, one of them being that if these are top secret documents, why aren't people with top secret clearance looking for them as opposed to Biden's attorneys? Is there anything there? Yeah, apparently Richard Sauber, the main uh, main attorney, he has some clearances. I'm not sure if he has, uh, for example, the particular kind of top secret clearance, the PSSCI uh, clearance that you would need to look at one of the documents that was supposedly found. There were reports, uh, I'll remind your listeners, of a PSSCI document being located. Not all of Biden's attorneys apparently have that classification, though. That, that is another open question. I mean, at, at a more fundamental level, we're kind of in the weeds here. The notion that this could have been just kind of quietly handled by the president's attorneys working with the Department of Justice and the National Archives in a way that was not terribly transparent, in fact, not at all publicly disclosed until two months after the process supposedly got underway, that flies in the face, I think, of many citizens thoughts about what transparency should look like from our government, especially if it's uh, involving the self-described national memory, the National Archives, which under its previous director, uh, Ferrero, was responsible for the referral to the Department of Justice that ultimately led to the search warrant that resulted in the uh, uh, what has been described as a raid on President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. So, uh, and I'll remind your listeners that uh, Ferrero, he actually resigned uh, before that search warrant was executed, but after the referral had been made. And there has been no explanation from him uh, as to the timing there, which uh, strikes some people as a little strange. Interesting. I, um, I, I, I can, I'm completely intrigued by, by this, uh, especially that they keep... It, it's like a slow drip. You would think if they were, you know... If they had all these documents and they knew they had all these, they would just do it all at once. But this gets, you know, kept alive in the media because they find these back in November and they finally release the information in, in December and then or in January. And then they find more in the garage. And they find more in the house. And then they find more on top of that. It just keeps dragging out. I yeah. wonder I wonder yeah. if they're not sabotaging uh, sabotaging him. Well, see, and, you know, that is the theory. Uh, as I was saying, the notion that there's a what has been described as a palace coup underway, people speculate that, um, you know, officials who are aligned with, say, Susan Rice, who is uh, uh, very close to President Obama, um, arguably had many of the uh, duties, responsibilities, uh, the profile in some respects of a vice president under Obama, that she or some of her people are involved. But again, I'll, I'll note that at least according to uh, Smith's analysis, according to what some other people have uh, found, there's reason to believe that there may have been an effort as early as uh, mid-November 
to reframe the way that we were talking about the Trump case in order to soften the response to the Biden case. And if, if there's truth to that, that would, you know, that's not necessarily inconsistent with the idea of multiple factions um, somewhat at each other's throats or at least in some sort of competition. I mean, it, this is essentially Kremlinology, right? We're trying to read tea leaves <laughs> here, but I, I will say the sources I've spoken to uh, in D.C., they have generally they have generally not thought that the uh, notion of a, a palace coup against Biden or something like that is as credible as more of a, a coordinated effort to respond and to protect Biden, perhaps being uh, undercut by, well, I, I'd say that uh, the messaging here has been less than ideal from their perspective over the past week or so. I, I really, unless there's some 40 chess happening here, I really fail to see how it has uh, worked out in favor of the Biden administration. The fact that we didn't hear about this until well after the midterms suggests that whatever whatever damage control was done may have been may focused predominantly, if not entirely, on that element. And um, and it, but again, we we still have so much more to learn. So uh, we really are. Uh, we're forced to speculate for now. Um, there is certainly reason to hope that the House Oversight Committee under Comer, perhaps the Committee uh, for the Weaponization of Government under uh, uh, Jim Jordan, and then also various independent organizations are going to be able to force some answers. In particular, there are FOIA requests out from uh, Heritage Foundation's Heritage Oversight, from uh, other good government groups generally seeking to force transparency. And well, in that, many cases, they will. That would be Trent. Transparency out of the Biden administration would be great. I'm up against the clock and I have to run. Nathan Wooster, thank you for being with us. The Epic Times, definitely you want to subscribe to that. Nathan, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Talk All right. Secretary Bye. of State Jay Ashcroft is coming up in about 15. It's the Gary Nolan Show. It's the Zimmer Radio Network. It's 924. Glad to have you with us. Uh, listen, uh, we've got uh, the Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft coming on with us. Uh, in a few minutes, uh, he's going to talk about this 30-day comment period on ESG. He brought it up last week on the program. Uh, maybe we'll want to go comment on that online. Uh, he also wants to talk about Biden's comment about uh, taking on the Fed with, a, uh, with an F-15. Uh, and uh, the dress code legislation, dress code for House members, uh, is getting a little too much attention. Uh, in addition to that, yesterday, at the uh, in the final hour of the program, we started talking about uh, the state of the state, which was uh, which is coming up, and I said, name two things that would make Missouri a better place to live. And we had a few exceptions, but most people said, get rid of the income tax, get rid of the personal property tax. We'll find out where he stands on that as well. So that's all coming up just a few minutes from now. Uh, this, you know, this whole thing about transgenders and everything, the left are just convinced that they're somehow doing a good thing. But even when they're faced with facts, they just, I mean, this gives you an idea how futile it is to try and tell the truth about what's going on in the country. Listen to this leftist who's being interviewed and informed about transgender surgery uh, for young kids. They're not doing surgeries. All the studies we have in this. You can't. Yes, no, they're, they're not. Yes, they are. No, they're not. There is no doctor. 
the law. There's no doctor in the United States who will give you a who will do an irreversible surgery under the age of 18. That's just not true. Chloe Cole is across the street. She had her breast cut off at 15. You want to come talk to her? Almostectomy is. That's how. You want to come talk to her? Was it for cancer or was it for gender? That's not true. Come talk to her. No. I've got video from Kaiser Permanente in Oakland, California where the doctor is admitting that the youngest patient they've cut the breasts off of is 12 years old. It's on video, my friend. I'm willing to bet you right now that that's an edited video where the doctor was talking about how the person had cancer, breast cancer, and how to cut it off. All right, so this is a video by Boston Children's Hospital. For top surgery, you are requested, but not required, to have been on gender-affirming hormones for at least a year. Many surgical centers require you to be 18 for top surgeries. We'll see people as young as age 15 if they've been affirmed in their gender for a long period of time. And don't really so what are your thoughts about that? that, that well, you, you said it's not happening, so it is, though, right? I was okay, so we're going to acknowledge that? Yeah, I was incorrect about that, for sure. What else do you think you might be incorrect about? Well, I'm sure plenty of things. I'm you just were very confident about that two minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, like any reasonable person, I can so say So now do you wrong. believe that they cut off the breast of a 12-year-old at Kaiser Permanente? Or do I need to show you that video, too? Which, were they on, Were they affirming to their chosen gender for a long time, the way they said they have to be in that video? Well, they don't have to be. They request it. That, that's a, as long as they have been. No, in fact, you can get these letters of approval for surgery over the phone. There was a Pride Festival in Madison, Wisconsin a few weeks ago. Someone set up a tent with a sandwich board saying trans or non-binary, free letters of recommendation for surgery. You can just walk up to the tent, get your letter for surgery that you need. Do you think that's the level of safeguarding we need for a lot of these kids who are struggling with other mental health comorbidities? If they want to transition, then yeah. Okay, so, so a second ago it wasn't happening. Now you acknowledge that it is happening. But it's okay. I, he's faced, he, he gets the video, he gets the data, he gets the facts, and he still says it's, it's okay. I mean, you talk about convinced. Holy moly. All right, coming up, uh, probably in about uh, 25 minutes, uh, Donald Trump goes after uh, Governor DeSantis again. Uh, we'll play that. Uh, th- there was a piece, I don't know how many of you watched Tucker Carlson. Uh, I got to meet him a few years ago uh, when he was in town in Columbia for the uh, Vitae uh, Foundation, which is terrific uh, group. You, you really want to f- uh, help them. Uh, anyway, uh, he, he really is a nice guy, and... He did a piece on Fox News about the uh, airplane, the uh, the FAA problem, where they shut down everything. You'll recall that I said I thought it was gonna that it was a hack. They said it wasn't, but they lie so much. I said that if they told you they were lying, you wouldn't believe them. Well, he comes back with more information. I thought I'd heard Canada had a similar problem, uh, but it turns out it's more than just Canada. And when you get through listening to this, you won't think it's just a glitch. You won't think it was just, you know, a bad piece of software. In fact, you come away realizing it can't possibly be. Uh, We're also going to get to uh, the uh, recycling question. I'm curious to see how many of you actually do it. Uh, Many people do thinking they're, you know saving the environment or saving money or doing something good for the world turns out you're not all that's coming up on the gary nolan show it's the zimmer radio network
is the Gary Nolan Show. 9.35, and it is the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. Uh, coming up, uh, we've got uh, Dr. Murray Sabrin. He is uh, an economist. We'll talk to him about the debt ceiling uh, and what the implications are of raising it and not raising it. Uh, in the meantime, we kick off this segment of the program with uh, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. Uh, Mr. Secretary, welcome. Glad to have you on the program. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Doing well. Glad to be back on the program. <laughs> Happy to be fighting for liberty. Uh, this is good. Uh, you came on the program last week. You talked about ESG, uh, and, and you were making a movement uh, on this. And I guess we can all um, make comment on that, because there, there, we can go to the web uh, and state yes, our opinion. Uh, we have uh, put out a rule that would require investment advisors or broker-dealers when they're suggesting a discretionary trade to make sure they inform investors whether or not they're suggesting something for the highest rate of return or there's some sort of social aspect to it, whether they're trying to use your money for political gains that you may or may not agree with. That's a rule we've published. I invite all the people of the state uh, to comment on that. They can get to that rule by just going to our website, sos.mo.go and then get to that and then give us comments about how we can better protect the people of Missouri. Now, if you get sufficient comments one way or the other, does that have some bearing on whether this happens or doesn't? Well, obviously, when we're looking at what companies are doing and using people's money against them, we need to have a rule like this. But what it helps us do is figure out how the rule should be written, exactly what it should be covered, how notice should be given. Um, it really helps us to make the rule better. That's what we're looking for. So you're looking for input. We're, you're looking to protect people and uh, recognizing that you can't do it all by yourself. You're looking for all the thousands of uh, Missourians who have different ideas uh, so you put together the best policy. Yeah, all the wisdom of Missouri is not in Jefferson City. I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> Just like all the wisdom of the United States is definitely not in Washington, D.C. <laughs> no, no, it's not. I guarantee you. Uh, all right. Um, I, now, I don't know what brought this up uh, for you, uh, but it, it is one of the topics you wanted to chat about, and that is uh, President Biden's comment about taking on the federal government with an F-15. Now it makes me want to invite you to come on my Gary on Guns show. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> I wish I had an F-15. <laughs> yeah, I would, wouldn't that be a great way to get around? Woo. You know... Here's my biggest problem with that, is a complete lack of understanding of the role of government. Government is there to create an environment for people to be successful. And, and President Biden and his ilk believe that we are there to serve the government, that we are there to serve our, quote, betters in the bureaucracy. That's wrong. When George Washington left being president after two terms, he said that he was ascending to the highest office in the land, going from being president to being a citizen. We, the people, are supposed to be in charge. Government is supposed to serve we, the people. And the ridiculous idea that it's wrong for people to stand up and say no or question their government, that shows you how wrong his understanding is of government. Yeah, I think government's just supposed to protect my rights, and that's pretty much their, uh, their role. Um, I had a question for listeners, because the State of the State address coming out, 
I asked listeners to give me two things that they think would make the state of Missouri a much better place to live. Overwhelmingly, now there were some other ideas too, but overwhelmingly, the two uh, ideas they thought were most impactive in a positive way be to get rid of the personal property tax and go to a consumption tax instead of an income tax. Republicans have the House, they have the Senate, they've got the governor's uh, mansion. It should be happening. Uh, give me your input. That would be phenomenal. Um, what I have called on the legislature to do when I opened up the House, one of the things I called on them to do is I said that there should never be a tax increase allowed under the Constitution again without a vote of the people at a general election. And the people's house should make sure that no funds are ever spent without the legislature appropriating them. We need to decrease the tax burden on the people. The people of the state should not be the piggy bank. We need to get government under control. As long as government has money, it will spend it, and it will spend it badly, and it will take that money away from the people that know best how to do it. We need to cut off their allowance is what we need to do. And I think you have some great ideas for doing that. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has uh, just uh, been sworn in. She is the governor of Arkansas, following in her father's footsteps. I think it's wonderful. Um, I obviously am very thankful for what my father did, and it helped me to get to where I am. And I love people that are uh, committed to public service. Um, and one of the things that my father really taught me was that um, what matters in life is what you do in your circumstances, and what's most important is what you do in your circumstances for others. And that's why I love to serve, because I want to create more opportunity for everyone in Missouri. You know, I, don't, I, I do respect public service. I hate it when it becomes a career. Uh, one, of the, one of the things about your father is he didn't make it a career. He, he's, he's not still running for office uh, over and over and over again. Uh, and, that, and I hate it when somebody has been in office for 60 or 70 years, and then they call it public service. Because when you get to that many years in office, 50, 40 years, 30 years, it's a career. Well, you know what they used to say about people that have been in Washington, D.C. for 12 or 18 years? It's time to come home. <laughs> maybe past time. Yeah, maybe past. We need past. citizen legislators, citizen government that are about we the people. Because otherwise you start to think it's all about you, and that's wrong. It's supposed to be a sacrifice, not a career. Um, what's going on with the, uh, the uh, women's dress code in the uh, House of Representatives? I saw this, and I thought... Well, this is, of all the things that we're worried about, it's men wear <laughs> sleeves, so women should too. You know, if they're talking about that, they're not raising your taxes and telling you can't do what you ought to be able to do. So it's not all bad. But what gets me about that is you have one side of the political spectrum that is portraying that as a bunch of guys in one party telling women what they can do or what they can't do. I would tell you right now that the, the, the gentlemen of the, of the legislature of the House, they weren't a party of that. That was uh, Republican women and Democrat women fighting over that. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope they get to some more important things, but I also don't mind if they burn up some time and stop them from passing some stupid stuff by doing that. <laughs> okay. Um, you and I talked about uh, government schools and uh, what they're doing in those schools. And there's, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with James O'Keefe, uh, Veritas. Yes. 
Yeah, he um, was talking uh, it, it, to a, uh, a, 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 a guy calls himself an evil salesman. Uh, he is violating the Georgia state law with regard to critical race theory. I'll let you hear a part of this and, and, and uh, get your feedback oh, on this. Cause I, yeah. Yeah. If you don't say the words, and it's amazing how you've gotten schools to purchase the curriculum. I always have a good sales name, but I'm also an evil salesman, like so bad. So the, the public schools have the state funding, right? I guess so. The state is basically paying for your curriculum without knowing what's in it. Does your your curriculum have critical race theory in it? Yep. And the government doesn't know. And they, they have no clue. And I'm like. In order to make sure it's under the radar, how do you visit DEI work? Schools in Georgia have your curriculum. Two. Two districts, actually. So, Blue County um, and then Cobb County. Wait, your curriculum that is in the schools here in Georgia is just kindergarten? It's just it's one of just kindergarten, yeah. But so cool. You get the idea. Uh, they've got a law. They're they're doing what you said at, at, uh, at the legislative end. And these government teachers are doing it anyway. Well, I mean, I am actually testifying today in favor of a parents' bill of rights uh, uh, that uh, Senator Koenig is putting forth uh, to make sure that parents know what's going on in their schools. Uh, I'm working to see if we can make sure that there is an ability for parents to take action uh, if their children's rights are being violated, if they're being uh, purveyed with uh, crap that teaches them to hate or like people based on the color of their skin. In, instead of teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic. Uh, we need people involved. Unfortunately, there is a bureaucracy that is against we the people. And what we need are more and more citizens standing up and saying it's not only our right to call out the government, it's our responsibility. We've got to take back our schools. We've got to take back our government. I hope we can get, I don't think it will happen this year, but in the next few years, we've got to get to school choice where every parent has the ability to make the decision where they want to send their kid just like I can. I'll bet it would make a huge difference in the curriculum if they knew that pursuing this line of, of uh, excrement uh, would lead to their losing money, just like in the free market. I like what you're saying. Mr. Secretary, I know you got a lot of things to do. I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us here today. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. All right. Secretary Jay Ashcroft. On the Gary Nolan Show. While we're talking about what's going on in schools, did you see what Planned Parenthood is doing? Uh, with <laughs> This is with eighth graders. Planned Parenthood got together with Trojan, you know, the condoms manufacturer, and started, well, we'll play the uh, audio on this. This is with eighth graders when we come back. Gary Nolan Show. Zimmer Radio Network. It is 9.51. Dr. Murray Sabrin is going to be with us uh, about a half an hour from now. Well, actually less than that, but maybe uh, half an hour from now or, or even shorter. Uh, he's an economist, uh, PhD. Uh, he's first, literally his, his uh, parents brought him over here uh, when World War II was starting. And he managed to go from abject poverty to uh, professor of economics uh, and to become a huge success. We'll talk to him about what the debt ceiling being raised or not being raised, what the implications are both ways. 
In the meantime, uh, on having uh, Jay Ashcroft on the program, James is on the line. James, welcome. How are you? Good morning, Gary. How's my uh, favorite conservative in Como? <laughs> he's doing, uh, I don't well, know, Brian, how are you? you there, correct? Hey, uh, wow. Um, I don't get too excited, especially on the state level. Politicians or, you know, people that may or may not be in office uh, in the state level in Missouri. But Jay Ashcroft says all the right things. I mean, the guy... I've liked him for quite a while. I know you asked him the tough question last week, and I appreciate that. Um, I don't hear the other guy, Lieutenant Governor, running for governor of Missouri in 24. I don't hear him talking like this. Um, Ashcroft says all the right things, and I really think he means it. And I appreciate you on the, you know, doing away with the income tax and the personal property tax. And everybody in Missouri is probably the personal property tax went up this year. Thank you, Missouri. Um, but I get excited with Jay Ashcroft. And I work for Reagan's national campaign. And, and you know, it's got to do something to impress me. And I probably haven't been this impressed with somebody running for state office when Gene McNary ran against Eagleton and almost beat him. That's maybe the last time I've gotten ex really, really excited. Um, so I just wanted to make a comment on that, and I do hope he runs for governor, but it's his decision and his decision alone, but he sure would be a positive uh, influence and a leader this state needs, because these Republicans, we have control of everything, but I guess they watch the Washington uh, playbook too much. So I'll let you talk, Gary. All right, James, thank you for the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Here's what I know about Jay Ashcroft, and it's not much. Um... <clears throat> I've had a. I've met with him uh, several times. I remember a couple of years ago um, seeing him outside the building here. I I was driving uh, a Mercedes, test driving a Mercedes, and uh, he and I kind of l walked around it because it was really a fabulous car. Um, and we chatted, and he's and it struck me that he was really down to earth. Um, we had him uh, speak at our Christmas dinner, and again. He seemed like a regular guy, and he said things that I, as a libertarian, like. Now, he and I will probably disagree on a few items here and again, but overall, I like the guy. And it, more than just personally think he's a nice guy, I, I think he's got the right ideas. And he seems to have the, the intestinal fortitude to say things that other politicians don't really say. So I'm I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I I think he would be uh, I think he would make a terrific governor. I don't want to endorse him because that would be like the kiss of death. Um, Brian admonishes me all the time when we we get a good candidate on the program. For God's sakes, Gary, don't endorse him. Uh, but I do believe he would make a terrific governor if he uh, officially throws his hat in the ring. In the meantime, we're talking about education. We told you about Georgia uh, and how Project Veritas exposed what they're doing down there. They're told not to teach critical race theory, and they're doing it anyway. And, and, and the state can't do anything about it because they don't call it that. I heard the head of the teachers' union say, nobody's teaching, uh, nobody in grade school or high school is teaching critical race theory uh, at the college level. The key word, of course, is at the college level. They're still teaching it. 
but just not at the college level. Well, thank you. Don't use uh, the polysyllabic words, and uh, you can still communicate it to grade schoolers. And that's what they're doing. So here we have um, a piece, and I, I was stunned when I listened to this. Planned Parenthood and uh, the company that makes condoms, Trojan, uh, a video for, now this is, remember, this is for eighth graders. Planned Parenthood-endorsed sex education curriculum has infiltrated Idaho schools. In fact, Idaho's public health officials with the North Central Health District are encouraging middle schoolers to have sex. Now, after public records request, we've discovered that 8th grade students in Moscow, Idaho's middle school have been shown graphic condom demonstrations. The video, produced by Trojan Condoms, is part of the Planned Parenthood-endorsed sex education curriculum called Reducing the Risk. This video was part of the sex education program for several years, and it may have been shown to students in other schools in the district. Idaho law and standards allow only abstinence or until marriage sex education. These public health presentations, however, teach children that anal sex, oral sex, sexual fantasy, masturbation, and abortifacients such as Plan B are perfectly acceptable for middle schoolers. This is in total defiance of Idaho law. The curriculum also includes teaching young children about gender identity and transgender ideology. Out of the 120 PowerPoint slides, there's just one mention of marriage. 120 slides, one mention. Over a dozen mentions of anal or oral sex. Government employees are violating state law. And this Planned Parenthood endorsed curriculum is still being taught in at least 13 other schools. If you are a parent in Idaho or just a concerned citizen, we need your help to continue to uncover what is going on in our schools. It's not just there. It's going on, I would argue, in probably most states. This, my friends, is the problem with government schools. That's what I, one of the things, one of the things that uh, uh, Secretary Ashcroft seems to be promoting is the dollar follows the scholar. If that happens, then all of you who really care will take your kids out of the schools where they're doing this and the schools will begin losing money. Teachers will lose their jobs. Somebody will wake up and go, look, if, if we want to continue to teach, if we want to keep getting a paycheck, we got to keep this, you know, we got to keep this to ourselves. We can't teach that sort of nonsense. It's the free market response. You're listening to The Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is The Gary Nolan Show 